Thank you for downloading this Freedom Fellowship Midweek Podcast, where we share real stories about your journeys, about faith in Jesus Christ, and what He is currently doing in our lives. In this episode, we'll talk with Dennis Cottrell about the controversial overturning of Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court this past summer. Dennis shares with us his thoughts on how Christians should respond to this decision. He also shares with us his life experience of growing up in many different homes and how that impacts his views on adoption and the foster care system. So we're here with Mr. Dennis Cottrell today, and, and Dennis, what is on your heart right now? Well, uh, the thing right now is what's going on in the country and the relationship uh, in the church uh, about abortion Okay. and uh, its relevance. Uh, you know, there's so much division, and people are uh, many times on the extremes of both sides. And so much of the country is divided, and, and I can remember back in the 70s and 80s when when this uh, when this issue from the Supreme Court was first passed, and and you were a pastor at the time. Not I was an associate at that time. Okay. Yeah, and I it was kind of interesting to me that um, you know I just kind of accepted it as the nation the nation going south on us in a in a sense that um, we expected that things were going to get worse spiritually over a period of time. And that the Supreme Court's ruling was was just a, a segment of that, and I, I never thought seriously that um, that it would ever be overturned. I just I was I was passive. Um, I, I, I guess I prayed about it, but I wasn't one of those that was demonstrating and. Um, angry about it that sort of thing i just accepted it as this is things are going from bad to worse um what why is that well because again it's it was the supreme court and it and i, I thought well the supreme court that's that's kind of the final thing here in our country and so i was uh, i saw people who were um who were willing to burn abortion clinics uh, willing to kill people create fires and that sort of thing and I felt then and I feel now that's not the right response that that's not uh, what we need to do and I and I think now even as believers now how they respond to this Supreme Court ruling in relationship to the unbelievers that how how we verbally react and how we um, how we react to this, in a sense, is still so very, very important that we don't drive each other further apart. Uh, one of the things I've noticed over the years is that um, both groups are guilty of, of um, communicating the other's beliefs inappropriately, uh, mischaracterizations. So if somebody who's listening or, or watching this, can you give some examples of that to help them kind of visualize what it is that well that you're seeing? Again, let's say as believers, um, you as a believer you'll see the unbelievers oftentimes um, really angry at what the Supreme Court has overruled, and their anger is expressed in in a lot of uh, 
uh, almost not riots, but almost just right beneath that level of rioting, a lot of anger that they express. And then sometimes we as believers turn right around and do the same thing in, in the sense of uh, words that we use to describe the other's uh, perspective. And what I've learned over the years is that um, I need to be listening, I need to hear, and I need to think about what I'm saying. I believe in pro-life, and I believe that conception um, is is something that that God uses, and that uh, and and the wonder of uh, uh, and the beauty of of a baby's development. I don't believe um, a baby's life just begins at the first breath after birth. I believe that that child, that fetus, is precious in God's eyes, and I value that. But I've also learned, and I have begun to understand um, the, I begin to empathize with people who find themselves in circumstances um, many times not of their making. Um, rape, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, abuse. Um, extreme poverty. And, and so what happens is uh, I've tried to be more um, sensitive to uh, what people are saying about it. It doesn't change my view. It changes how I react to them. Okay. And uh, that perspective, I believe, is something that we as Christians uh, need to take in consideration. Uh, most of our communication is not just with words, but it's our body language. Right. So I believe that um, in this a time in our life as in, in our nation that Christians need to be listening um, we need to be involved in what the solutions are um, I know that many times the non-believers and those who are pro-abortion do not realize the amount of uh, effort that churches go through with Christians who are trying to take care of of the unborn and those who find themselves pregnant without the the necessary means to to take care of that child uh, we're not interested in just their birth we're interested in taking care of those children their life and uh, I know that in the and the Christian community is very much involved in uh, adoption and uh, most churches have active programs uh, dealing with those issues. The, oftentimes those people do not, or the unbelievers do not necessarily, are not familiar with what we're doing. Right. But as I say that, I'm also aware that, uh, that we as Christians need to step up even more. It needs to be a, a, a perhaps a, a higher priority. Uh, I do remember as a teenager that when someone was pregnant out of wedlock uh, in high school or something, that oftentimes those people were whisked away, and uh, and oftentimes those young mothers um, found themselves ostracized 
even within the church. And uh, I think that's tragic. Uh, I think the, that the answer, to, again, is to come alongside them. Um, be, just as Jesus told the Pharisees, he who's without sin cast the first stone. Well, and I think the churches today have done a better job of that. Uh, I think uh, uh, in our own church uh, that we would surround people with, with love and with provisions and, and do our best to encourage and help and help them make good decisions, knowing that we've all made mistakes and made bad decisions in our, in our life. So anyway, I, I, I think, uh, again, there's a lot of misunderstanding on, on, on both camps and a lot of the, the polarization that we're seeing politically, uh, there's also polarization uh, spiritually as well. And, and so, therefore, I think it's very, very important that we listen, that we consider our words, that we consider our responses, and um, that we don't have to become, um, we don't have to drive people away. I think we need to uh, act as salt in this in this situation and, and take time and listen and at the same time we stand for what we know is right. So what, what role do you think that social media plays for better or worse in this um, this debate between these two camps that, that yeah. you're talking about? I think we all have have seen it, we've experienced it, but what, what is your perspective on mm -hmm. social media? Is it helpful? Um, to allow for more dialogue, or is it detrimental because of the yeah. anonymity? It all, it always, it just depends on how things are said and done. Uh, it's, it's both, but too much of it, a, a majority of it, is detrimental because they're captivating those moments and anger. And if it, if it's, it's it seems like if it, uh, it draws attention. To the people and events that are uh, uh, miscommunicating and misunderstanding, so I, I think there's a sense that uh, media makes it worse. But I also think that if we are responding rightly, and I'm talking about in a Christ-like way, that it can be positive at times. So it's 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 both, but it's still a, it's a. It's a very complicated subject. I think about the, the, the medical issues, and I know, I know so little about that. Um, and, and I've just recently gone back, and since all this has transpired with the Supreme Court, uh, I am trying to become more knowledgeable and of what we can do and what's taking place, and again, listening to the, to the issues involved. Um, I think one time you explained that you and Whitney had this had gone through something like this in relationship uh, of a, of a uh, of the embryo and implanting itself in what what was the uh, ectopic the, pregnancies? Yes. Yeah. Explain what that means. So that is uh, thankfully we never had to do had to to deal directly with that, but that was one of the things that um, I guess is a fear for a lot of women and Whitney included is when the, the sperm and the egg fertilize, if it's in the uterus, then you're good to go. You, you'll have a, a normal, normal pregnancy. 
Um, but it's when the egg and the sperm fertilize in the fallopian, fallopian tubes, tubes. Okay. Uh, which is, is such a, a tiny little area yes. that that's called an ectopic pregnancy that something like that the the life of the mother is in fact uh, truly in danger yes. because it, it's such a tiny um, tube and so as that embryo becomes bigger and bigger and bigger then something is going to happen and it could be detrimental to the mother yeah yeah i think it'd be life-threatening and, yeah. and most likely and and there's uh, it's like th- that's an example i don't know what the percentage of of uh, pregnancies are but I, I know over the years that i've heard that in the past that that's always a, a, a danger um and I, I think there's a sense there that um if we automatically say that under no circumstances uh, is abortion uh, the right thing to do well i would disagree in that situation i would think that that would be the, the right thing to do well i i think a lot of people live in you know not, not such a black and white world i, I think a lot of people live in the in the gray area and understand that there is a gray area that um, if you say absolutely no abortions whatsoever period point blank all of that most people I don't think share that view mm-hmm. uh, because they do have compassion they do have empathy not saying that those people don't but when it comes to something like the the safety and the health and well-being of the mother if her life is in danger there that exceptions can be made and and i would like to educate myself on the the state of arkansas that once the uh, roe versus wade was kicked back to the states when it was overturned that arkansas immediately banned abortions and i don't uh, and i could be wrong about this i don't believe it is zero abortions whatsoever uh, period we are a respect life state but but when i talk about kind of that the average person, I think most people with common sense see that there are or there can be exceptions to that. Yeah. I, I think what most people think is they don't want the unnecessary yeah. killing of life because of someone's careless mistakes. Yes. That it's abortion should not be a form of birth control for medical reasons. I believe that yeah. most people think that, that it's there are some exceptions, rape, incest, and yeah. uh, you know the health of the health of the mother. But then on the the other side, that when we uh, believers look at the other side, the opposing argument to that, that everyone who is in favor of keeping Roe versus Wade on a federal level, that they are not pro-abortion, that there is a gray area, that it should be you know the woman's right to be able to do that now some people hold that view mm-hmm. but it's there there are exceptions on on both sides i guess is, is what i'm talking about that it's not so black and white which is what you were making yeah. the point about earlier yeah that's that's what's important to me is is finding that reasonable and understanding uh in a in a broader sense uh this issue and because I don't think it is black and white. I think there really are situations. I, I think of, you know, uh, I used to, I was a, a director of the Northwest Arkansas Children's Shelter for a couple of years, and I saw hundreds of children uh, in the system, foster care system. Uh, many of them had um, have had experiences of, of, of being pregnant at a very early age, very early age, 
and you're talking about sometimes children 11, 12 years of age, and um, it uh, it doesn't make it easier. And I don't. I'm not saying that that would be an automatic an abortion. It just depends on it. There's so many other variables in there, but I just think that it's important that we consider all those. Uh, and I don't know to what degree, you know, you talked about the people in the gray area. I don't know what percentage it is because the people who are extremes on both sides are the ones that are doing the, not talking, but the shouting. The, the loudest in the, in the room yeah. are going to get the attention. That's and, right. and that's, and I don't know what, that's what we see. Yes. That's what we see and hear. And so therefore I, I'm not, uh, I, I don't have a feel whether that uh, that middle group, um, how they feel about it. Uh, but I think it takes a lot of wisdom and uh, uh, the wisdom of Solomon, so to speak, to, to kind of mm-hmm. sort through those, those issues. Um, and I, I think one of the things that we f- find over a period of time is that people uh, who are in those, in those situations um, where incest has taken place, and uh, where there's just un- where there's just unbelievable poverty in- involved, and um, I don't know what the answers are in the sense of how do we help those th- those children, and um, but I would anticipate now that uh, the Supreme Court has ruled that we're going to have in the next five years, um, an explosion of, of new births. And and whatever we're doing in the churches will need to be, uh, I think it's going to be important that we increase our responsibility uh, to take care of those children. And many of them are going to be unwanted. Um, one of the issues sometimes is if a child feels that they're unwanted, how does it affect their life? And um, I was one of those kids, not because my parents didn't want me, but because uh, after my mother died, it was interesting that my dad just did not have the, it was not equipped or did not make the right decisions. And so uh, my brother and I was especially aware that we both were burdens. And uh, he looked for, for, for almost any opportunity to farm us out with somebody else for $25 a month. And, and so we stayed with a lot of people that um, that it just wasn't a good situation. Now, it doesn't mean that God can't work through that, because he does. But uh, I think we got to listen to each other and, and at least develop a, a, a sense of empathy with people who are going through those difficult times for whatever reason. Do you think that um, you, uh, with your your younger years, not that you're an old man, but your younger years, <laughs> uh, when when you were in ministry, has has your perspective changed on that level of empathy towards others? Do you, do you think that it has gotten stronger as you have gotten older, yes. especially with with what you had talked about as growing up? Um, in, in the foster care system and, and, you know, being bounced around from place to place and, and things like that. How has that kind of shaped your view of, of 
God's grace over time and empathy towards others. Well, it has increased. It has increased my empathy. I, I, I look at things differently now. I'm not as judgmental as I once was. I'm not as legalistic about things. I also see how God worked through those circumstances and in spite of those circumstances, bringing me to the right people, putting me in, in circumstances where uh, where believers really did enter in my life and became involved in my life. And um, they played a key role in helping me. So it, it really means to me that as, as Christians, we can not just be aloof and be distant, but we find ourselves doors opening and people coming into our lives and um, people really uh, are involved with us in some of the dirty details of our lives that not judging us, but in the sense coming alongside to, to help us, to extend that hand and I, I look back and I'm uh, convinced that God brought so many people in my life that, that, that helped. Uh, when I look at my kids now, I, I'm th so thrilled because they are um, they're independent, they're, they're uh, good citizens, they're strong believers, and they're great parents. And, um, and so as I see that, I, I think, boy, that's... That wasn't so much uh, because of me, but that God brought people into their lives. And a lot of the credit goes to their mother, but the bottom line is still a lot of people came in and came alongside uh, my life um, at a very crucial time in my life. So I, I, I think that I've become less critical, less judgmental, um, and, and empathize with people care for people and and not just in name only do you think that the the church should be doing a better job at that yes i really do i i think it's uh, i think it's important and if, and if we could uh, i i don't know the answers sometimes the foster care system works uh, and many times it doesn't and it, there's not an automatic um thing for all it, there's no there's no easy answer I don't believe in the long run that God ever intended for government to raise our children. I think the family is, is still the, the unit to, that, that does it, that that happens. But I do believe that uh, even as, as believers, we could be better uh, educated and more informed and be looking for those opportunities within our communities for the church to be more involved in the lives like that. And it's not just being in the four walls of the church, but there's, uh, there's just so many times where uh, God will use those believers in the church to reach out to those kids. Sports programs where, where coaches are taking, having an influence, uh, teachers, um, childcare workers, uh, and then in some ways, it needs to be a higher priority within the church financially um, and to promote a, a culture of adoption within the church. Now, again, adoption doesn't always work out because I've seen it many times it doesn't. 
but I also have seen many times it does. And so therefore, I, I, I believe that uh, in the Christian community, the churches ought to be more proactive in reaching out to those children who are without families. I remember several years ago, the, the, uh, a family of three boys came in who had been taken out of their home, who had been uh, tied down by ropes. And so their ankles were literally scarred from every night that have to be tied down by ropes to keep them in the house. Well, when you're talking about that kind of parenting, they need to be out of the home, and those children need to be adopted, and reunification is not really the, the, uh, the option. But we've got to have, we've got to have Christians who are stable and consistent and uh, mature to adopt that uh, children or families in, involved. Should that be uh, should that be natural to believers? In in your opinion, should that, should that be a um, just a natural instinct to want to do that? I mean, we know that the the book of James talks about true religion is caring for widows and orphans. Mm -hmm. Should that be something that comes naturally to believers, or is it just simply um, nowadays we don't have uh, that in our faces the entire time? Yeah. Um, Maybe a little bit of both, because again, the, the Holy Spirit can lead us and does lead us to do things, and there are many strong Christians who have the ability to adopt who do not have the desire to adopt. Um, and I would say that anybody that has the desire to adopt is probably being led of the Spirit because, again, that's, uh, that's not, a, I don't know that that's normal because we're all kind of selfish. So I, I think that's, uh, that's a good thing. But I also think that believers culturally could be teaching that. And it, if we're raised in an environment where we see the success and we have the friendships, and we're we're rubbing shoulders with those people who have gone through that and and their meaningful relationships now that would help create that desire to do that and i and i think as a as the church of or christendom today uh, that that would be a a a good thing um and it would i think it would have influence over a period of time because you and I were talking last week about this this very topic, and for for me growing up, I never knew uh, anyone who was adopted that mm -hmm. I was aware of, um, or who was in the foster care system. I just in in my you know roving military mm -hmm. bubble, you know where we move from place to place to place. I'm sure I came across some of them, but I, I just wasn't very um, cognizant of that, mm -hmm. and so it, the opportunity was never there. I just it was kind of out of sight, out of mind for, yes. for me. But with Whitney uh, and her family, her, her brother is currently, uh, he's a pastor in, in Wichita, um, that they currently have a foster boy living with them. In fact, I got to hang out with him uh, this past weekend. And just a sweet little boy, I mean, just a really good-natured little boy. He just happens to come from mm -hmm. unfortunate circumstances. And so the, the Kansas... Uh, state bureau of you know 
whatever their acronym is up there. Um, but what they do is they, they find these families that are willing to open their homes and, and allow uh, this child to be around their other three children uh, and to fit in to, and to show this kid love. And he called them mommy and daddy yep. this, this weekend. And um, so my point is um, that now I have been exposed to it. Am I more apt to look at foster care in the future now that be, because it has kind of fallen in my lap? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's simply exposure to that. And yes. so, uh, growing up, didn't have exposure to it, so it was out of sight, out of mind. But now that I have been exposed to it, it's a little bit different. I'm I'm more open to that. And of course, Whitney has always been open to yeah. that because of of you know her uh, the way that that she was raised. Um, and the exposure that she had with with people that she grew yeah, up with, I think that's absolutely right. But just that exposure makes a difference, and when you have a positive exposure to it, that just reinforces because uh, we have the ability to really influence the community uh, through that system. Um, and, and again, it's I I don't believe that ultimately that God intends for the uh, foster care system to be our, our, our best result. I think uh, that could be a temporary at, at best and that we, what we want is to bring those children into our homes and love them and take care of them as our own. But, but that's a big challenge. I, I go back and look at my grandparents, how they uh, took me and my brother in uh, I was 10 and my brother was 14 and and uh, took us into our home. We'd never seen him before. They didn't know what they were getting into. And we just, they just, we got off the bus and all of a sudden we were there on the farm with them. Um, uh, that's, boy, it was a major decision on their part because they didn't have to do that. And I think about how uh, my life would have been so much different if I had remained on the streets in downtown San Jose, California. Uh, it would have been a, a whole different world. So anyway, I, I, I'm convinced that, uh, that when we talk about this whole thing of abortion and pro-life, that, that for sure we can do a better job by not shouting at one another, that we listen with a sense of, of love and Christ-likeness, and that sometimes, uh, not all, sometimes, all the time a soft answer turneth away wrath and we need to learn as Christians that no matter how much the other person is shouting at us that somehow some way we need the grace of God to, to help us understand that that soft answer is still the best answer thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast we are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com, and you can search for us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.